This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today joined by Sam Carroll and Gav Buckland as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park for the second time this week. And uh, as always, plenty to get our teeth stuck into. Um, so without further ado, we will crack on. Um, big rule change came into force, or it was agreed anyway this week by the Premier League clubs, the use of five substitutes and, of course, an increase in the numbers you can have in the match day squad. Um, so who at Everton, Gav? Which one player will benefit from this rule change in the final nine games of, of the season? Well, I think, uh, I think, well, I think generally... Especially given our position in the league, it gives us. I think it gives us an opportunity to see some players, perhaps who maybe would not really get game time in a sort of, you know, normal season. In quotes, uh, you, you have to say uh, Anthony Gordon would be in there, wouldn't it? Really, I would think. Um, opportunity, but it'd, be, it'd just be interesting to see how Carlo uses the last nine games of the season. Mm, perhaps yeah. maybe not the derby say. To, to, to have a look at sort of um, the whole squad, the whole match day squad. And um, the, the use of five substitutes also gives them wide that opportunity, I think. But you would think Gordon, I spoke about quite highly. Um, I think he, he'd be the one for me. Simon, uh, anybody different you think is going to benefit from the, uh, uh, the addition of, of two more subs per match? I think Gordon's obviously going to be one who will be hoping, but then ultimately Moist Keane as well, isn't it? I think Moist yeah. will be ahead of Anthony in the in the pecking order in terms of coming on. And he, he's a perfect sub really, isn't he? In terms of his, his power and his kind of explosive little turn of pace he's got. So it'd be nice to see him get some more minutes. Obviously, you know, we would have probably expected him to be a, a regular starter by this point, but not quite worked out that way. And now you couldn't really see him well he might start a few games towards the end of the season if we've not got nothing to play for, but you know, you'd, you'd certainly expect Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison to be firmly ahead of him for the first few games. Uh, other than that, though, it's it's difficult, isn't it? You know, if 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 you're along the thing, you know, what what midfielder do we have to, to come on and, and change a game, really? It's, it's tough, isn't it? So I, I, there's not many lads, I don't think, who are going to be thinking we're, we're going to get an opportunity here because there's, there's not many impact subs that... Everton have at the moment. I wouldn't say our squad is is generally littered with players that you think and he's going to come on and make a difference. But you know, certainly at the moment, uh, Anthony Gordon and, and Moise Keane. If you're losing a game or you're chasing a, a win in a game, uh, and you're a defender and you, you you're knackered after 70, 80 minutes, you certainly wouldn't want to be coming up against Keane or you know the a, a, a talent like Anthony Gordon. So so that is genuinely exciting, isn't it? The only sad thing is we won't all be there to, to see them play. No. Do you think, Gav, there's any any um, merits in, in the argument to say that actually there could be some benefits for the midfield? Because whereas Carlo would have been hamstrung, say at Chelsea, for example, you know, a midfield that was creaking under the pressure from the word go almost against Chelsea yeah. last time out, he would actually now be in a position to change more of the midfield, you know, if, if, that, if that game at Chelsea yeah, had been... absolutely. I mean, I think... I'm thinking that maybe you'll see a mix of players starting. Mm. You know, so you might see Moise Keane start three or four games. Yeah. You know, I think, I think, I think it's going to be 
I would like to see it as a, as a type of experimentation, to be honest with you, for Carlos to have a look at the squad. So, I mean, I think Sam's Light will be an opportunity to see Moise Keane as a sub, but I'd like to see him starting games as well, and why not? You know, it's, it's all, it, that's a very much a, I wouldn't say artificial feel, it's a, it's a, it's a not, there's a novel value, isn't there, to these nine games? And, and I think uh, in all areas of pitch, including the midfield, what we've got, what we've got left, um, <laughs> be interested. I'd like to see a couple of fellas from the academy just give him some game time as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I just think it's it's an it's an opportunity it's a, it's to get something positive out of what what was generally for a lot of people, as you say, is is a it's it's not the not the, the greatest way to, to to play football, is it really for for obvious reasons? I mean, obviously, you know, and, and and you know, many people listening would agree with your sentiment there, Gavin, and I certainly do. But ultimately, is there a, the caveat to all of this? Maybe what comes out of the first three days of the week with Cass, Manchester City going to court with UEFA. And if that ruling opens up that another spot for Europa League, yeah. etc., does that, as much as Carlo may well be along your line of thinking about wanting to experiment with players, yeah. there may actually be a sudden change in emphasis and importance on, on what remains. Yeah, yeah I, I get that. I, get, I forgot what the table looks like, to be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> when, we're not soft. <laughs> we're not soft, yeah. yeah. Uh, no, no, I get that. There's, there's lots of options open there. I, I, I just think, though, on the assumption that we, we may not get into Europe, I'd like to see... Mm, yeah. I'd like to see, you know, the cast the net being cast wide across the squad for some get, game time for, for, for some players. Mm. Uh, I think it would be beneficial uh, for everyone, to be fair. And Sam, speaking about giving... Um players more more chances and, and, and allowing Carlo to see more of players that have been on the fringes. I mean, there is, and obviously we, we hope the club in this change transfer market, whenever it opens, can still offload a lot of the players or the majority of the players that they intend to. But there is, you know, a, a realistic assumption that a lot of the players or some of the players that, that maybe a couple of months ago Marcel and Carlo were thinking wouldn't be in the squad next season, might actually still be here and, and may still need, be needed and have to be used, you know. Yeah, it's a, the difficult thing, isn't it? I think, uh, I don't know if we, we mentioned it the other day, we were talking about it, but, you know, all you do as a, as a, as a fan, you naturally get that kind of, like, footy manager, FIFA, dream transfer window where you're like, we'll sell him and him and him and him and him and him and buy him and him and him. And him. Got a, a list of 10 outs and 10 ins and it very rarely works like that in football and certainly not at a healthy football club, does it? You know, the best clubs kind of might let a couple go and, and, and replace them with, with two or three kind of new additions and, and, and certainly Everton do need a, a big kind of revamp. I think that is quite clear from the positions, but, you know, the lads who maybe you're unsure about who, you know, I think it's fair to maybe say, you know, Gilfie Sigurdsson, where does he fit, especially in the formation we're using, Theo Walcott, where does he fit, Cenk Tosin, Morgan Schneiderlin, all these lads who look decent squad players, but maybe for a, a club with the ambition of Everton and Carlo Ancelotti, probably in reality, if we could go out and buy the transfer targets Marcel wants, we probably wouldn't need them. But now, as you're saying... They could all get minutes next season. <laughs> I know no Everton fan would be thrilled by that prospect, but it's just a, a fact, isn't it, that if clubs aren't willing to spend money and clubs aren't willing to bite our hands off for these players where they might have been, or 
you know, we can't get a deal that we're happy with, then they have to stay, don't they? And, and play the part. And then, you, you know, even deeper than that, then when you look at your Blatties, your Sandros, you know, and, and I think you wrote it in your, in your piece about Mohamed Besic today, that these lads that you were hoping someone might just take a gamble on, someone might say, you know what, Sandro, he had something about him, let's see if we can... They're not going to do it, are they? It's not, they're not, you know, they're not going to pay Yannick Balassi £60,000, £70,000 a week, and it's just so difficult that, you know, we'll probably have to just settle for another loan deal for, for those lads and, and make do with what we've got, so... You know, I think I think it's it's going to have a real impact on on outgoings, uh, even more so than than incomings because I still think you know as Chelsea have shown this week, if if you want to play it badly enough and you've got a rich owner, which Evan certainly have, then deals can still be achieved. Mm. Is there a player you think that Carlo can? Is there a player whose Everton career that looks? Um, like it's on its way out. Is there a play that he can salvage? Is there a play that in this period, in these next nine games, and maybe for a bit longer, is there a play that you think maybe that isn't a lost cause and, and can be revived under Carlo? Um, is it, yeah, I, I agree with everything Sam said there, by the way. I, just, I, I think we spoke to you on the pod, recurring theme, isn't it, last last year, this year, whichever way you call it. <laughs> that, you know, there's a lot of highway high wage earners that we would like to get off the books, but I think that possibility of that has basically gone to nothing, hasn't it? To nil because of what's yeah. happened over the last three or four months. So we are, we are Sam's right, we will, you know, we will be like left is the right way, but we will have to accommodate those players next year, you know, you're talking about of of those, um I don't I don't know. I mean I, I still like I know, that. I mean Lewis's injury position is Snydling, yeah. you know. That's the one I was going to say. Schneider is the one, yeah. isn't he, that, that, that we've seen something of. Yeah. And we see it in fits and starts, but yeah. I, I, strange, strange Schneider is that. I think, effectively, I think he's a good player, mm. but it's just, you know, doesn't show it often enough. And I, I think Schneider, especially with, uh, you know, the injury news this week or last week, uh, has still got a big opportunity for us for next season. Um, in particular, and I just think, um, yeah, we'd be, we're going to have. I wonder if some of the some of the transfers we were maybe hoping to make next year maybe won't happen now. Mm. Yeah. Because Sam, you are right. If you have got Rich Owen, but obviously FFP, like like the Olympic, will impact us a bit more than Chelsea won't it because our income is what less than half of theirs. You know, Did, so um, uh, it's a, and if Chelsea effectively. Were they were they offset the team over earning money by selling Morata? Have I read that? Is that our understanding? Yeah, yeah. So we've got assets to sell. I mean, we haven't got assets to sell as such, have we? Yeah. You know, uh, and that, that's that's the, that's the problem. Um, well, we have, but we don't want to be. I know which well, players we're talking about. We want to see the Charles and leave. You know, Woodry or the players like that or DCL. Um, so we have, we haven't got people. What I'm saying is we haven't got assets on the periphery that the squad to yeah. sell for five places. Yes. So yeah, I think I think that it's a separate pod, obviously. But I think team planning next year is a, is going to be very difficult for us. Mm, absolutely. Um, so we started by talking about a rule change that has come in, which is obviously the increasing number of subs that teams can use for the final nine or ten games uh, of the season. But obviously, the assumption, therefore, is that there hasn't been any appetite to change VAR, which uh, the IFAB had suggested if, if domestic competitions wanted to, 
tweak it they were they were allowed to but it doesn't look like the Premier League have any appetite to get rid of VAR um, are you comfortable with that Sam? Obviously there's been the, the suspension of the season but we've got to this point haven't we so we might as well uh, crack on with it you know the, just kind of the way the season panned out I still can't believe that Brighton won that we were there for it still doesn't make sense to me and and the Tottenham one, I thought there was, a, there was a couple of dodgy ones. In the, I think that was probably one of the, the most shambolic nights of, of VAR, wasn't it, that game? Uh, so, but look, it's here. It looks like they're keen on, on making it work. And hopefully, you, you just hope it, it doesn't impact teams, you know, especially down the bottom, because, uh, or teams fighting for, you know, a European spot, because it, 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 it can alter history, really, can't it? You know, if... I wouldn't like to see VAR being a different, a kind of controversial VAR call being the difference between a team going down or staying up or, you know, Sheffield United getting in Europa League or not. You know, these little kind of subplots to the season would be difficult to stomach for some teams, but you hope now these last few games, the, the Premier League and the FA use it as an opportunity to refine it because it wasn't working in the way everyone hoped and I don't think it's at the impact that we all hoped. Uh, f- until the season was suspended and you know it really was disappointing and especially for Everton to have been on the wrong side of it a couple of times it was it was hard to take wasn't it Gav do you think it's the right it's the right call to carry on the season with the VAR in place absolutely yeah I mean I know we talk about venues and stuff um, but you've, you've got to maintain the integrity of the league haven't you and, and say what would have happened if uh, if we'd not had this you know, this break and VAR would have been there till the end of the season, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. So, but you've got, you've got, you've got to, uh, you've got to continue it between now and the end of the campaign. Um, so as to, you know, as I say, maintain the integrity and, and fairness of the, of the league. And I think, uh, I support, but whether I support VAR is a completely different thing, yeah. but yeah. for this year, I, I support completely, which is maybe not, not great, but, um, it will be be interesting to see how it pans out in front of uh, empty empty grounds. Well, neatly segueing on to, uh, to ah, I see Phil, you know, uh, you, you're back yeah. in the band, Gav. Um, yeah, <laughs> stay, stay with with that phrase, and that we've we've heard thousands of times throughout the lockdown: integrity of the league. For the integrity of the league, does the derby have to take place at Goodison and not at a neutral venue? How can the integrity of the league be upheld? If we have to travel to Wembley and play Liverpool yeah. at, at the national stadium, we can't, can we? Surely. Uh, no, no. I mean, I get the argument for integrity league. We should be playing in front of crowds and yes. stuff. You know, yeah. you know. So there's an argument to say, well, if you move the crowd, does it really matter where you're playing? Uh, I, I, I sort of get that argument, but for me, you've got to play. You can't have randomly selected games, can you? For 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 no other reason than sort of that's what people think with no evidence to support it randomly selected games that are moved um, and, and I think you've got to I mean there's a danger in any home game that any fans of any club are going to turn up isn't it yeah. you know it, right, right, how do you what evidence say more games are more risky than others okay but other than your own intuition and and I think um, for me you, you have to you, ha- you have to play them uh, at the the you know, at the home ground of, of, of the club concerns. Otherwise, it's it sort of, you know, it, it, it's it's not, well, it's not really fair, is it, for a start? And uh, you, you wouldn't like to think, say, I think Liverpool have been told they can play the next two games at, 
Anfield, isn't it? Something like that. Mm, yeah. Why move to Derby? Yeah. <laughs> well, but, yeah. But, you know, for example, it, it doesn't, there's no logic to it whatsoever. And and then you get accusations of bias and favouritism to, to big clubs and uh, that comes in and it shouldn't really mm. come into it. I think no. we, we should play all the games at home um, and I think if we don't do that, well, of course, of course it's a, a statistical problem for us not. If we played in a neutral venue, to, to my start to say that's a home game for us, a neutral, yeah, so that's another little queer. But now you've, you've got to play, you've got to play them all at home, haven't you? Really, I don't see why mm. you would be bear in mind some of the other risks going on in society at the moment, why you, that are not being well managed. Um, dare to say, um, you've got you've got you've got to do it, yeah. And, and Sam, you know, I mean, I, you know, thinking about it as well, Sam, in terms of if. If any of the authorities, you know, and, and certainly Mark Roberts, at the uh, the head of footballing in the UK, police football in the UK, is is obviously harboured concerns. But if there's concerns about gatherings relating to Liverpool potentially winning the title, those gatherings could happen at any in any area of the city, not just around the ground. So surely you could you could cordon off the section around Goodison, but then everybody would just if they if they were so inclined to do so. They could gather somewhere else. Yeah, and that's the that's the thing, isn't it? That what 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 can you do about it? I just wouldn't understand why a Merseyside derby couldn't be played at, at Goodison Park, or if God God forbid that they, they did win it against it, it wouldn't matter where the game was played. As you're saying, there would still be people who might want to go into the streets or round by where they live and stuff, it, it would be impossible. And I just don't think changing the stadium would, would do anything. And, and just what a shame it would be to, to not play. I, I know like the the fans can't be there and that, but to, to not play at Goodison would, would just be a shame and a bit of a mystery, really. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Speaking about no fans and, and, and no supporter is in favour of behind closed doors football. I'm sure many, you know, understand it and accept that that that's the way the season's going to complete. Um, but nobody's happy about it. Um, Gav, what what do you feel for us though in our fan base about the whole restart of the season? Um, I sense a quite a heavy dose of apathy among supporters. What 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 do you sense from? from your friends and family and people you speak to? I, I, I sense it's all apathy across the whole football world, to be honest with you, across mm. not just Everton supporters, to be fair. Um, and I, say, I always remember, I was, I was thinking about an analogy this week, was um, Monty Python, you know, mm. 1980. They realised after they had one album left to uh, compete on their record deal, um, didn't want to do it, so I ended up calling it the Contractual Obligation Album, which is basically <laughs> an album made up of old old sketches rehashed. They didn't put a lot of effort in it. They just did yeah. it to, to, to meet the record contract. Yeah. And I was, I was thinking that the Premier League playing now, sort of, as a similar 
feel. It's just a, yeah. a, a rehash of something just to, to get things done and get income. And, and I thought, you know, at the end of the day, I fully support that because the Premier League, like all other businesses, has to, you know, ensure and maximise its income um, yeah. during this period. So I've not got a problem with that. Um, people's jobs rely on it for the start. So I'm not, I'm not, but whether that means that supporters are, you know, are fully, you know, they, they like say, buy into that, it's a, it's a different thing. And I, I, I sense even for t- teams at the top where it still matters and teams at the bottom still matters than somebody in the table, I, I still get that's the case. And that's a very artificial feel to it. And and, so, and that's understandable, isn't it? You know, what we've learned to, over the last three months is a lot more things more important football in, in the world, isn't there? And um, I, I, being apathetic is, is a completely justifiable feeling for me and I don't think we should criticise people for that. Mm. Sam, what's what's your feeling, you know, amongst friends and family, you know, about this restart? You know, is that is that what you sense that that people are just like, let's just get it over and done with? We, 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 you know, it has to be done, but we don't. It's not how we wanted it to, and there's bigger things to worry about. Yeah, it's. A, I think obviously it's it's different for for us, isn't it? That uh, as Everton supporters, just nothing really to to play for and it does just almost feel like I think if, if we had the option I think it would be an overwhelming percentage that would just say just leave us out of it we'll we'll come back <laughs> next season you yeah. just get on with it yeah. uh, and obviously it, it is made whatever you say it's made worse by the fact that Liverpool are going to win the league there's no two two ways about that and I think you know friends and, and stuff who, who, who support them they obviously want want it to come back and you know you can't blame them because if if we put ourselves in their shoes, if we were top of the league now, we would be desperate to get football back if it was safe to do so. But as you're saying, it, it just it just doesn't feel right now, does it? And I think you know it's it's just like you know then they're doing the weekly tests and the results are coming out, and it does seem to be all being managed quite well. But you know talks of Everton games not being played at Goodison and and no fans, and it's all just. It just doesn't feel right, does it? And I think it is corrected at the moment. That certainly the Everton fan base, it is just a case of, you know, play our games, get our matches done, and then it is just all set for next season because mm. you know, there was so much excitement when Carlo first came in and, you know, it would have been really interesting to see how, how we would have played that end of the season out had this not happened. Yeah, and it doesn't really feel like at the moment it, it, it we're going to get to see the true kind of form or, or what little hints we might have got from, from his playing style and, and things like that because as we've said at the start of this pod we're probably going to see a lot of substitutions probably you know he was already rotating the squad a fair amount when he first came in we'll probably see a mm. bit of that um, so yeah it is just very much a case of nine games let's win as many as we can but apart from that it's all all systems looking to to next season whenever that may be yeah Um this part, next part of the pod, kind of harks back to uh, an earlier section we were talking about. And Gav, you mentioned we don't have assets that we're prepared to sell, and that's a big issue in terms of yeah. generating money. Um, so, because of at a first team level, we don't have assets that we're prepared to sell. Selling Fraser Hornby, which looks like it's very much on the cards, uh, a promising, highly thought of academy player, uh, looks like he could be going to Europe somewhere for maybe a couple of million pounds. Do you think that it might be something we see more of in this window whenever it opens? That actually, rather than selling 
younger first team yeah. players, the club may be willing to cash in on people like Hornby and, and, and some other younger players. Yeah, but I think it's, that should be like a policy you do. So, you know, as part of your normal transfer dealings. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think it'd be a case more of uh, they like not being critical. Um, it was quantity rather than quality, maybe the, mm. the the thing. Yeah, I mean that's what academies are there for, aren't they? I mean, Slays will be badly. He's played, hasn't he? Didn't he come on a few years ago? In he the, played. Uh, he started in the uh, game in Cyprus in the dead rubber against Cyprus, Amazon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I think I think that's that's uh, pretty understandable. These after what that's two and a half years ago now. You're not really on the on the sort of knocking on the door of the first team squad or the first team even then. I think it, it makes sense for everybody to move on. We get a fee. Somebody else gets a you know a player who's you know done well at Evan, you know down the ranks and um, you know he, he gets some opportunity for f- first team football. So I think you see more and more of that. Um, certainly over the next twelve months. I, I think going back to like this I, nine games having an artificial feel. I think next season I'll have a bit of an artificial feel as well. Mm. Yeah, because there won't be fans yeah. initially for the first half of the season, probably. Yeah, but, but just in the way clubs have built squads and stuff, because mm. their the whole plans for what what they would have done has probably changed completely over what's gone on. So yeah. I think this is not just a, this is a case of getting these nine games over with. But I think certainly the first half of next season is going to have a similar type of. Uh, Type of field, to be honest with you, mm. um, and it could for us it could present opportunities for some players that maybe wouldn't have seen them otherwise. So it'd just be interesting to see how that pans out. Yeah, Sam, you and any uh, any feeling on any other sort of academy level fringe players like Hornby that potentially we may see sold this summer? Um, I think I don't know. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Josh Bowler's got 12 months left. He's extended his loan at Hull. You know, is he somebody that we could we could make a profit on, maybe? Or yeah, but perhaps maybe with with, with Josh. But it'll all, you know, I don't think it's it's kind of gone ideally for him. Uh, I think we, we've spoken about Keaton Dahl, haven't we? In the in the mm. last couple of in, in one of the last podcasts, which you know someone else who, who I reckon you could probably make some money on uh, if that's suited. There are a few lads coming into the last twelve months. You know, Matthew Pennington as well, and. And Dennis Denneran, you know, what do we what do we kind of do with him? I think you can probably make a little bit of money on him. Uh, we've got Markello on the new deal now, haven't we? But it'll probably all go on his uh, on on how his next season goes. We're kind of plans to send him out on loan. So so there's a few really you decisions will have to be made, or, or you just risk losing them all on free transfers. But at the moment, it's going to be even more difficult, isn't it? Because of the current situation, and I think lads will certainly be appreciative of having 12 months, two years left on a contract at a big club like Everton and have that kind of financial safety. You know, they might not want to bank it on taking a, a deal somewhere else. You know, they might want to just see it out. So, you know, there's obviously decisions for for them as well. But, you know, I think selling phrase are kind of, for me, it's a, it's a nice thing to see in terms of we, we have to start getting to the point with these lads. Uh, you know, from, from every time I've watched them, got some good attributes, but at the moment he, he's not good enough to play in the Everton first team. And if that's the answer that you come to, you move them on and, and, and you know, move them on permanently when they're at an age where, you know, you can, can get a decent fee because we've got lads who are 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, still just knocking around in our under-23 team and, and getting loaned out every season. And, you know, it's not fair on, 
on the player, and it's not good business by the club because the 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 depreciating values every season, aren't they? And if it doesn't quite work out for them on the loans, then you do just end up getting getting stuck with the player for for two or three years. You know, we have to start being more assertive in our in our business with young players because you know you, you see some clubs selling lads who've scored a couple of goals or made two or three first team appearances for five ten million pounds and. You know that that's certainly something that, that Everton could could probably do because these lads are coming through the ranks and winning under twenty three titles and are you know picked out as, as as good prospects. But you know we we have to start backing our decision making a bit. Say, all right, this lad's nineteen twenty, he's good. There's a bit of interest in him, but I don't think he's going to play for Everton. Let's move him on instead of giving them three year deals just in case and then mm. letting them just rot out on loan or in the reserves. Really, so I think it's a it's a good sign with Fraser and and that he, he gets to go and prove himself away from Everton and hopefully one that we, we do see happen in the future. And, and obviously, you know, you don't want it to come back and bite you, but I certainly think you've got to trust in the, the judgment of uh, Brands and, and Ancelotti. Gav, you would imagine that in any of these deals, um, there'll be a, a, a healthy or as healthy as possible um, sort of sell-on fee. Yeah. Do you think, and I, I totally agree with what Sam's saying. I think, I think he's spot on. But do you think there's the, the, the difficulty... In making these judgment calls about young players and these younger sellable assets this summer, particularly, is clubs, as we said at the very start of the pod, you know, the market is contra- is going to contract. Clubs will be yeah. more cautious. Is is there an argument to say, hold on for another twelve months, give them an extension, and then hope to get a better deal in twelve months' time? Or is or, or are we? Is that naive of me to say that? And actually, the market's going to be in trouble for a number of years, do what we can now and just and just crack on that way? Uh, interesting question. <laughs> <laughs> you can write a PhD about that, I think. Yeah. Uh, nobody knows what's going to happen, do you, for the start? Mm. I, I think if I was doing it, I'd operate in the, in the here and now, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't make any decisions based on what we think um, it might. You know, the future transfer market would look like in twelve months. Yeah. I'd operate in the here and now and maximise your opportunities uh, now, rather than sort of defer any sort of more beneficial deals that may or may not happen twelve months down the line. Mm. So I think, yeah, I think you, 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 you. I think over the next. I mean, we don't know how long this sort of. Transition will last could be a couple of years, couldn't it? For all we know, yeah, yeah, they never get back, yeah. you know. And some would say that's not a bad thing. Um, so I think, uh, operate the head and now, make decisions in the head and now, yeah, yeah. Um, just just a player that come come to mind at, 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 the, at the other end of the spectrum, a very experienced player, and, and we spoke about players using the nine games, um, to their advantage. What are our thoughts on Delph? You know, it's it's so sort of 10, 10 months or so since he joined. It was mid-July, wasn't it, when he joined? A lot of excitement in, in some courses about him signing. I was really enthused by it. Uh, I still think there's a really good player there, um, but it's just not quite worked out. Has it? What do we do? We think that these nine games are a great opportunity for him to to really sort of lay the foundations for next season. Do we do we do we believe there's a player there, or or do we have concerns? I think I, I genuinely still do. I remember. Uh, seeing that we'd signed him, and I mean, I, I was in Benidorm and quite smashed when when I seen that we'd signed him. But, <laughs> <laughs> I remember being proper made up on the strip that night that we'd signed Delph, um, and 
you know, my feelings still haven't really changed. Obviously, with that kind of social media thing, which which he could have done without, uh, which I know kind of was was not the best. Uh, but you know, I think he is just a kind of he does wear his heart on his sleeve, and and I just want to see a bit more of that on the pitch. Really, you know, we we were kind of sold on this this leader and and this fella who you know the the Gareth Barry type role and. You've just, he's just kind of been in the background a little bit too often for me. Someone who, and I don't even think games have passed them by. I think it's just been more of a hasn't quite just had that little that little bit extra that you want from a centre mid like him. You know, we were giving him that chance to play central midfield. You know, we weren't playing him left back or left mid like he'd, he'd been asked to do a couple of times under Pep. And, and and obviously anyone who has played central midfield for a Pep Guardiola team is is a top footballer with, with, with a really good football intelligence, but he needs to show that a little bit more, especially in games where I felt like we were struggling. You know, mm. you, you want someone like him to step up and be like, give me the ball or I'll go make a tackle. So, and, you know, players like Phil Neville and Gareth Barry, that's what they were, Tim Cale, that's what they were great at. You know, in those big moments when you needed them, it doesn't have to be a 30-yard goal. It was just a, a tackle at the right moment, you know, a, a nice little kind of cross-field ball, just something to get the crowd going or to get your teammates going. And, and you just didn't see that. So do you think it's a good point about Delft that he's one that's kind of going under the radar a little bit on, on a really crucial last kind of quarter to the season for him, I think, because if, if he could have a, a, a big impact, I'd, I'd certainly expect him to be someone that Carlo Ancelotti would be saying, you know, look, we can build a midfield around this guy for the next couple of seasons because... You know, he he obviously isn't a young lad, but he's he's got something and he's played in these big games. So, yeah, it will be really interesting to see what he what he does and and how he plays. And hopefully, this has just been a little bit of a chance to to recharge his batteries. You know, we haven't seen the best of him as well because he obviously has had a few niggling injuries, which has mm. been which has been tough. Uh, but yeah, the the jury is still out, and and I I don't think I think if we would have been sat here last summer saying. Where do you think we'll be in twelve months' time? On Delph, I would have thought he'd be a firm fan's favourite by now, and and as you're saying, it hasn't quite worked out in that way. So, yeah, want to see a little bit more from him. Do you have any thoughts on Delph? Uh, the first thing I'd say is uh, I can't get out of my mind Sam being bladdered in Benidorm. To be honest, <laughs> that's something I, that's like that I can't actually you know remove from the imagination. I think all day. Uh, thoughts on Delph? Yeah, um, disappointing. Failed to failed to impose himself on and off the pitch, hasn't he? Really. Um, mm. And he, you know, you you started the pod filter about people who've got opportunities, you know, and he, he'd certainly he'd certainly be one. Um, how Carlo, but, but you've got to see that in the context of how Carlo wants the midfield to operate yeah. over the next sort of about twelve months, which will encompass nine or forty odd league games, won't it? Um, not helped by obviously the injuries, uh, injury to kebab, and I, I, there's obviously a place for him. I think Delford is obviously a player there. It, it just—it's been disappointing, really, for me that um, he wanted to be more like Gareth Barry, and he's been a little bit more like, <laughs> like say, Ashley Williams in some respects. Yeah. <laughs> you know the way it's panned out. The senior player is not really what I acted on a case like I'd expect a senior player to do, um, and I think it's—it's going to—he's going to have a part to play. Definitely, it, but I'd, I'd like to see him do more on and off the pitch. To be fair, not help by the niggling injuries as well. Yeah, mm, yeah. I suppose. I suppose going back to the earlier point we made about 
Gav, you made about, about experimentation. Maybe there is that opportunity for Delph to show Carlo that he has to start in whatever two the manager picks. Yeah, I and mean, there's been been games that he's played really well. Um, mm. But but there's been you know there's been others where he just hasn't, and his, his body language hasn't been great. But he, he's one, isn't it? Where you should be looking at this as an opportunity um, yeah. and to see see where it takes him. Um, but you could say that about a lot of players, couldn't you? Really, indeed, indeed. Cracking. We will uh, we will call it and uh, call it a day there. So, uh, chaps, thank you very much for your company. Excellent as always, and uh, thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.